Man, it is so great to be here with you guys and such an honor to be here and just to see the work that God has been doing here in Asheville and to be tracking with the gathering even since before it began. I mean, I was telling a couple people today, we got to come on a trip with John Mark and we actually saw Robbie out here, our lead pastor, myself. We came out before the gathering had even started, going through, praying with them over this city, coming out. Actually, I've led a mission team here. The, the first Easter that the gathering was here and launched. We were here on the ground uh, working with their team. And just over the past couple of years, it's absolutely amazing to see what God's doing. And I grew up in Wilmington, North Carolina. So coming to North Carolina is kind of like coming home. Now, east side of the, the state. But now I'm all in the West Coast. So coming back here is always fun to be here and be back around. And I just want to say this before we jump in. You know, I hope you guys recognize what a gift you have as your pastor. Uh, in John Mark, and um, I, you know, I mean, I was sitting here right now, so he's like telling me to stand up, I was just doing the head shake, and it took me back to like so many meetings we had where I was just the head shake so many times, like what is this guy doing, and, but, but here's the thing, here's the thing about John Mark, John Mark is the real deal, I, I like who he is when he's up here being a spazoid is who he is. <laughs> Like, at his house, it's who he is in the car. He's the only person I know who will drive and then be like, yeah, so, like, talk to you like this. I mean, he just is who he is, and it is so awesome to see just his heart, his prayers. He's one of the most teachable people that I know. Uh, he's one of the most humble people that asks for advice and is willing to take it. So I just hope you guys recognize what a gift you have in your pastor, and it is an honor to be able to come here and, uh, and to serve in this way. So as we, as we jump in, before we get into this message, though, y'all, I got to say this. It, this is your 9 o'clock service. For me, it feels like 6 a.m., all right, because I'm coming from the West Coast. So I don't like to talk to people at 6 a.m. I don't know how, how you are. And so, so I need y'all to be with me just a little bit today, all right? So like, we're going to have some fun. We're going to jump into this, but we got to we gotta, we gotta work together on this, all right? So here we go. Now, I, I don't know about y'all, but when I was a kid, I used to grow up with dreams for my life. You know, like that dream of like, when I grow up, I'm going to be... You probably had that same thing. You go back to like when you're five, you probably had like, I'm going to be a firefighter. I'm going to be this. I'm going to be that. I'm going to do it. For my dream, it was always, I wanted to be a pilot. Like it was like, I'm going to fly airplanes. That's what I'm going to do with my life. From the time I was a little kid, all the way up through high school, I even got my senior class ring. You know, you get those like one side had the sports I played. The other side had the airplane on it. Like, I'm serious. Like, this is what I was going to do. And, and here I was, like, I was flying, and, and I, I met Jesus. I gave my life to Jesus as a senior in high school. And so then I was like, well, I'm still flying. And for some reason, I always pictured myself driving a BMW. I don't know if you ever saw your life with your car, with the house, everything like this, and you're like, this is what I'm going to be doing. And then I was like, I'm always going to be volunteering with students as a small group leader, and I will be the coolest one ever because you know what? They're going to be like, yeah, my Bible study leader, he flies airplanes and drives BMW. He's pretty cool. You know, like that was, that was kind of like what I saw myself at 18 doing. Now, God obviously has changed those plans, and that's what happens a lot with life. We, we have these dreams. Sometimes they change, but there's always some kind of a dream. Maybe it's that next career, maybe it's finding that spouse, maybe it's, it's you want kids, maybe you're sitting here and you're just dreaming that some of this baggage you've been carrying, some of the stuff you don't want to even admit that is there, you just wish it would go away. But we all got these different dreams that are there, and I, I think that this is really significant and important for us because the dreams that we have about our life, that picture that we see, that's the vision. That's the vision where we see our life going. And, and this is absolutely important, and this is what we want to talk about today, is that the vision that you have for your life directs the fight 
in your life. All right, let me say it again, because we're going to say it a few times here, but the vision that you have for your life, where you see yourself going, will direct the fight in your life. Now, now let me explain this a little bit, because you know you hear the fight language, and you're like, man, I don't know, but I ain't fighting nothing. Like, what are you talking about? But we all fight, we all have battles, right? Like, I live, in, I live in San Jose. That's the heart of the Silicon Valley. This is where Google, Apple, Facebook, all these companies that you hear about, this is where they all are right there. So we have so many software tech engineers in our church, and they talk about the battle of blue light. You don't even know about blue light, but blue light comes from a computer screen. They got special glasses they have to wear. They're battling carpal tunnel. We're battling traffic. I mean, you guys actually have pretty bad traffic in Asheville. I ain't going to lie. It's legit. It's like Bay Area level right there. So you're battling traffic. They're battling like, did I plug my Nissan Leaf in last night? Because it's going to die on the way and I can't ride the HOV lane. And if my Leaf dies, I can't get my latte. And then they put the wrong milk in it. And I mean, this is the battles that we fight in the Silicon Valley. You know, but you got some battles like this here too, right? Like you got the battles. This is what I hear from studying in my deep research of Asheville is, is this the right essential oil for this, for this situation? You know, you've got the battles that you're like, it is is there going to be parking at my favorite brewery today? Like, I don't know. You, you got the battles like, oh my gosh, my neighbor's chickens got out and pooped in my yard again. It's fried chicken tonight, baby. You know, like you got battles too. But see, we got all these things that we can laugh about, these things that drive us nuts in our life, but there really are, there's some deeper battles. You know, there are some relational breaks in our life, that baggage that we carry, whether it's from your parent whether it's from another relationship, a friendship. We've got some identity scars that can lead to deep insecurities, things that make us struggle now relationally, or even the things that have happened in our past that when we, when we come to God, like maybe even some of you, you're here today, and you're just questioning, does God love you? You're questioning, is God for you because of some of this stuff in the past? And, and these, are the, these are the deeper battles that we're going to fight the desires that didn't get met, the prayers that we felt like didn't get answered. I mean, these things are going to be there in our life. And whether we choose to turn and look at these, these battles and we go to them, we run to them, we fight them, or we try to run away from them, either way, there's going to be some kind of a fight. And here's the thing that I truly believe. I truly believe that God is not calling you to pass passively through life. But he's calling you to stand up and fight the fight of faith. He doesn't call us to just sit back and be passive. He calls us to be active. Our faith in following Jesus is an active faith. One where we're standing up. We fight the fight of faith. We get knocked down, but we get back up. We're going to keep going. And if our vision is off, then our fight is going to be off. And that's why we've got to pay attention to where are we looking for the direction of our lives and what is happening. And so today, as we talk about this, I, I have been praying for the gathering and praying even for myself that God would give us a bigger vision. He would give us a bolder vision. One not just for our church, but one for our lives, for our families, for what we could experience in God. And so today, as we jump into this, we're going to ask three questions. Three questions that I think are super significant for us in understanding where this vision for our life is. And we're going to look at a passage of Scripture found in Colossians chapter 3. Now, Colossians, in case you're new to church, maybe you haven't really read the Bible that much, and that's totally cool. I love it. Uh, Colossians was, is actually a letter, 
a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul, and he, was, he wrote it to the Colossian church. So this church there in the city, in this city that he, would, he had been and he had started, and he's writing this letter to them to say, hey, here's what it means now to keep following Jesus. Here's what Jesus has done in your life, and here's practically now what you can do. And so we're going to pick up in Colossians chapter 3 as we see how Paul calls us to live with an elevated vision. Now, the first question that we've got we've to ask before we jump into Scripture, first question is where am I looking for vision? Where am I looking for vision? So if you're taking notes, you can write that one down. Where am I looking for vision? And this is what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, listen, he says, who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So here Paul is setting this, this whole idea up of where are we looking for our vision. And when I first read this, it made me think about my daughter. So I have, I have three kids. I have a six-and-a-half-year-old named Ella, a five-year-old named Avery, and a three-year-old son named Andrew. So our house is a little crazy. we got first grade, kindergarten, preschool. It's a little nuts. It's never clean. Let's just be real. If you come over and it's clean, it's because we knew you were coming. And so, so my kids, my daughter Ella, she is in first grade this year. She was in kindergarten last year. And last year was the first year that we let her play sports. So she played t-ball. You know, it was kind of like, like t-ball, like where they, they would practice pitching, but the kids like very rarely hit it. And they would do all that stuff where you're like, that poor kid, like they can't do this at all. But it's all like self-confidence building. And so then they give them the tee and they let them hit it. But here's the thing. You ever, if, you, if you played t-ball ever, or if you ever watched little kid t-ball, you will see that what happens is their attention span begins to wane. Have you ever noticed this? Like, like all of a sudden they're like this. Or like one kid is like this. They're like over here somewhere, and like they're not even paying attention. Or like this is what I used to do when I played t-ball. I don't know if you ever did this. I had the glove, and it had like the little, like, you know, the webbing right here. I'd be like looking through it, and I'd be like, Luke, I am your father. You know, it's like you got to do all that stuff. You're totally distracted. So like kids are out here. I, I remember this one day. I look over at the first baseman, and she's like down here like this, like just playing in the dirt like this. And so at every little kid's t-ball game, you will inevitably hear this phrase from a coach and from parents because they'll be saying, look up, look up, because they're not even looking where the ball is. But you know, we so often do the same thing in our lives. We get our heads looking we're like, I got that next job, that career advancement. I got my spouse, my family. I got to get my finances in order so I can do this. I got to have some fun over here somewhere. Oh, man, the chickens are back in my front yard again, pooping all over it. And, you guys, and you're like all over the place looking around here. And, and these things can all be good. Now, don't get me wrong. These can be good things. But we're down with our head looking down. And what happens is when our head is down, our vision is lowered. And when our vision is lowered, our fight is off. And what Paul is saying is he's saying, listen, the vision for your life directs the fight in your life, so you got to look up. He's calling us as followers of Jesus to look up. Remember what he says? He says, set your eyes, your hearts, your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Look up. These are good, but this is better. 
Look at the great. Look at Jesus. Your life that you're living now as a follower of Jesus, it's not down here. It's in Jesus. Your life is in Christ, seated on the, he- up on the right hand of God. He's saying, look up. Look up for your life. Look up for your vision. Because if we're looking down, we're going to fight the wrong battles. Now listen, I, I know that some of you here today, this may be your first church experience. Some of you may be here. Some of you may have you've had a terrible experience. Now you're coming back. Maybe today's your first day, and you're like, this big, loud guy from California, man, I don't know about this guy. But here, here's the thing about this. All of us, whether we are new to church, whether we're following Jesus, we're all looking somewhere for the direction and vision for our life. Whether it's friends, media, family, somewhere. So we all have to ask the question, where am I looking for the vision for my life? And, and here's, here's how we do this, okay? If we're if we are going to ask the question now, what do I do? Like, what do I do to, to get that vision from God? How do I do this? I mean, if I'm following Jesus, I want to look to him because that's who I'm following. Like, like now how do, I get, how, do, how do I understand the vision he's asking me to do? I think real practically, two things that we can do. The first one, what we do to look up is we got to look to the Bible. We got to look to Scripture. You know, there is nothing that will be a bigger game changer in your life than a daily consistent habit of reading the Bible. Because here's what's going to happen is you, you do it consistently. You do it daily. Over time, what's going to happen is you're going to begin to see what, how God has created you, how he's wired you. His, he's going to begin to speak to you, and it's going to begin to change your life. It's going to elevate the vision for your life, which is going to help direct the fight in your life. And, and parents, let me tell you this. There is no greater joy for me right now as a dad than to see my, my six-year-old and five-year-old who are learning some sight words in school, but they cannot read by any means yet, to go grab their little kids' Bibles. You hear their feet hit the floor. They come running down the hallway, and they got their little Bibles, and they got a little pen because you know why they do that? Because they see mom and dad doing that. And they sit down on the couch and they start flipping through their Bible and they're just looking at the stories and they see the pictures, they see all this stuff. And they don't yet fully understand it, but they see the habit, they see the impact of it. And, and, and that is a game changer in our homes. Parents, that's a game changer with your kids because what happens is we're going to look to Scripture, we're going to see the vision, God's going to direct that fight in our life and calling us with an elevated vision. And, th- and listen, some of you, you may be like, the Bible is like foreign language, man. It might as well be Sanskrit right there. I can't read that at all. And I get it. I remember trying to read the Old Testament all the time in college even. And I was like, I don't even know what this is saying. And that's why we have things like life groups. And John Mark talked about growth track that's there. It's why we got people out at the Connect Center right out there on the sidewalk afterwards. So you can come ask somebody. So ask someone. Get into a group. Go to growth track. It'll help you begin to understand how to put this habit into your life. Now, the second thing we can do to look up is ask God. It's really that matter of prayer. It's coming in and saying, okay, God, what, what's, the, what's your will? Where are you calling me? What are you doing in me? What's that character trait needs to change? Where is that? And we begin to get real practical. We're looking to the Bible and we're asking God because the vision for your life directs the fight in your life. So we want to put some attention to asking God what the vision is for our life. So as we look up, God begins to show us that vision, directs the fight in our life. So the second question that we have to ask is, what needs to die in my life? What needs to die in my life? Now, I know that sounds a little, a little intense, but if we're really honest, if you think about it, for the vision to thrive ever in your life, it means something else has to die. 
you have a vision one day of being out of debt and being financially secure, it means some spending habits are going to have to die. You want to have a healthy marriage or a healthy relationship, it means some of those relational patterns, they've got to die. Those things that were breaking and dividing before, they can't stay there. For the vision to thrive, something has to die. And this is why Paul, as he continues writing in Colossians 3, writes with some strong language in verse 5 when he says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Now, he, he uses this language. He says these words, put to death. And I, I, I know that, that this kind of stands out. I mean, basically what he said, he said, go Chuck Norris on this area of your life right here, right? Now, if you don't know what that means, ask somebody who watched 80s actions movies, and they can fully tell you what that means. But he's saying you've got to put some of these things to death in your life. And he continues on with a list of what he's talking about so that we have practical application. And he says things like sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And he says, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Now, I want to stop right here for a second because I know that last phrase, that can bring up maybe some bad memories from your past experience. Maybe you're like, that whole wrath thing is exactly why I don't come to church. Or maybe you're like, that's the whole thing I heard before was like, you got to do, you can't do, you got to do this, you got to do it. If you don't do that, you're wrong. You got And God, here come the, the flames of hell after you, right? Like that's what you grew up in that kind of context. And so when we hear this, it can cause us to stop and be like, wait a second, what does this even mean? But here's the thing I want us to see is if we skip over this statement about the wrath of God coming because of these things, then we miss the whole magnitude of what Jesus did and accomplished for us in the cross. Because if we don't understand the wrath of God on sin, then we don't understand the depth of his grace to forgive. Let me say it again because I think this is so important. If we don't understand the wrath of God on sin, then we do not understand the depth of God's grace to forgive. Because when we see how bad it is in our sin, or we see the way that God views it, the wrath is coming against us, now we see such richness in His grace. We see how it overcomes so much of our faults. And now our, His grace becomes so much greater when we begin to understand these two in attention. And Paul continues then in verse 7, to say, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all these things, as all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. He says, do not lie to each other. He says, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have Put on the new self. See, the reason right here, the reason that Paul is writing so strong this way is he goes, this isn't who you, who you are now. The, all, this list of things, he's like, this isn't who you are. This is from the life you lived before Jesus. When our faith is in Jesus, he's saying, you got to let these things die because now you're living with a bigger vision. God is doing something new. He's doing something different. He's calling you up to a different level in your, in your faith in Jesus. Where you are new. You don't live as you used to. You don't think as you used to. You put on a new self, and that new self means a new vision, and that new vision is directing a new fight in your life. And when I think about this, 
I, I've met so many people, and we talk about this in church, that, that when we hear this, this is our natural reaction. This is what I do too. We all hear something like this, and we either act on it, so we go, okay, now i got to do something with it. i got to pay attention to this. I'm not going to do it perfect, but I'm going to keep getting back up. We've either got to act on it, or we will dismiss it. And when I was in middle school, high school, I was introduced to pornography. Pornography was a part of my life for a long time. I became a follower of Jesus as a senior in high school, as I mentioned earlier, and started following Jesus. And then in college, God began dealing with me about the pornography issue in my life. And let me just be clear, any, any use of pornography is an issue, if I'm real honest. Like, it will destroy your life. Um, and so any use of it was there. And so God began to deal with me on this. God delivered me out of that. Is, is when I was going through college, I've been out and free from it for over 13 years, haven't touched it, haven't looked at it, anything like that. But as a result of that being part of my story, I've been able to, to walk with so many different guys who are struggling with it and, and going through it. And one of the guys who recently I've been meeting with, he's not even a Christian. He's not even following Jesus. His wife came to our church. She said yes to following Jesus. He, he's looking at pornography, it's tearing apart their marriage, and so he's reaching out to a pastor to say, hey, listen, man, I heard this part about your story, I need some help. So we're sitting down and we're talking through this all together, and I'm walking him through this, and, and here's the thing, is as I'm talking with him, he's like, you know what, whenever I talk to you, it's so different than all my other guy friends. Because whenever I go to all my other guy friends, what they tell me is, dude, it's not that big of a deal. It's just a guy thing. That's all it is, it's just a guy thing, that guys just do it, it's not that big of a deal. And I sat there and I looked him in the eyes across the table we were eating and I said, I think that you have a bigger vision for your life than it's just a guy thing. I think you've got a bigger vision of what your marriage could be in 30 years. I think you've got a bigger vision of what you want your kids to inherit and what you don't want them to. I think you've got a bigger vision of the freedom that you want to have from the guilt and the shame of this in your life. See, we're, we're, it's not just a guy thing. We're living for something bigger. We're living for something bigger than that. We're living for a bigger vision that God's putting into our lives. And here's the thing, is that my concern is how so often we excuse the areas of our life that are absolutely killing us. And may I suggest, listen to this, if you're excusing areas of your life, then your vision for your life is too small. Because we only excuse areas of our life when we look at our life and the vision for our life is too small. Because the vision that you have for your life will direct the fight in your life. So what are the areas? Let me ask you this. Just be honest. Just think about it. What are the areas right now that you're thinking about in your life? What are those areas you're thinking about that you know need to die? You don't have to look at your spouse. In fact, don't even look at them. Just keep right here. You know, like, just keep with me right here, all right? Like, let's just do that. But, like, what are the areas you're thinking about? What's coming to mind? What's God putting there? What's that character aspect? What's that relational trait? What's that thing that's there? What's that thing you've been saying? Ain't that big a deal? You're trying to stuff down. What's that thing from your past, even childhood, that you're like, it keeps coming up, and you're like, maybe I need to go see a counselor on this. Like, what is that thing that you need to deal with? And let me ask this. Parents, I want you to think about this. What is that area in your life that you desperately do not want your kids to inherit? Will you crush it for them? Because your decision today with that area could impact the next generation to come in your family. So what do we do now to let something die in our life? I think the first thing is, honestly, we got to admit it. 
Just admit it. No excusing it. We, we don't excuse our character. We own our character. So what that means when we come in and we look at our character, I'm going to write it down. Is it porn? Is it sleeping around? Is it a dirty mouth? Is it I got greed? Is it I'm hungry for success? Is it I'm image bound and my identity's all wrapped up in this? Is it I'm not paying attention to my wife or my kids? Like, what is that thing? Where is that thing? Name it. Write it down. Put it down. Deal with it. Own it. We own it because we own our character. The second thing, all right, to let it die in our life is we have to confess it to God and confess it to others. Confess it to God and confess it to others. This is the part we come to God and we say, God, you know I'm dealing with anger in my life. God, you know I got some greed. God, I got some anxiety. I got some things that are here. God, I'm asking you to forgive me with this to take this out of my life, and then I'm going to go to somebody. Listen, this is one of the primary reasons that we do life groups in church. This is one of the reasons you got growth track right here is to help you find freedom because, listen, all about following Jesus is about freedom. It's about the freedom that comes in Jesus, and that freedom comes when we get around people who begin to deal with us and let us walk out of these things in our life. And so we got to bring that in, and when we bring others and we bring God in, it's like bringing light into the dark, and it pushes out the darkness that's there. And the last thing is we got to get help. We've got to get help. Again, groups, growth track. This is where even you may say, man, I, got, I need counseling. Listen, y'all, it is okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. And we are going to go get help that we need in order to live out the vision that God is calling us to, the vision that we look at, that we want to see for our kids and our family and, and, our, and our, for our future. And the reason that we're willing to take even some of these hard and uncomfortable steps is because the vision demands it. And the vision for your life will direct the fight in your life today. And so when we look at this, we got to ask the questions, where am I looking for vision? i got to look up. Then we got to ask the question, what needs to die in my life? And then the third question that I want to encourage us to ask is, what do I need to put on? What do I need to put on? Paul continues in verse 12, and he says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. He says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has any grievance against someone, then he says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now, when I read this, I can't help but think about, like, when he's talking about the clothing, right? It's like, clothe yourselves, put it on. Have y'all ever noticed how clothing styles change? I mean, y'all are a smart, stylish bunch. I was watching when y'all were coming in. I was in the back earlier. Like, I get it. You know, clothing styles change, even coast to coast. They change. They're different, everything like that. And, and, and clothing styles change so much. And I, I was thinking about this as I was thinking about how these styles change. Anybody here remember Jinko's? Some of y'all remember Jinkos? It was like Jinko, they're like, they're like swallowing like everything, right? Like little birds and stuff will get lost inside your Jinko, you know? Because it just, it's like, it was like a vacuum, sucking everything in. Like, here's the thing I was thinking about. It's like Jinkos. It's like the jean that can make 80 pairs of skinny jeans out of, right? Like one pair, you can do that. Styles change. They go from extreme to extreme. And this is exactly almost like what Paul is doing. He's saying, listen, you're putting on a new character, you used to wear this old character, but you don't wear that anymore. You're not wearing Jinkos today. 
You putting on some skinny jeans? <laughs> Just kidding. That's like too far of a stretch right there. That's literally too far of a stretch. Anyways, so he's like saying, listen, you're going from one extreme to the other. And he's painting this new picture of the new way that you, you wear your character, the new character that you put on, the character that Jesus is calling you to as you follow him. And he's showing us these things because what's going to happen is as we follow Jesus, as we look up, as we look to him, he's going to show us the areas that need to die, but he's going to show us the things he wants us to put on. He's going to show us who we are as a son and daughter of the most high God who created us in his image. And, and I think about this real practically, like for my life, like, like God started dealing with me earlier this year around gentleness, especially gentleness with my kids. And as a result of this, what happened is I began to see that area that needed to change because I was praying about my kids. Again, I'm looking to him for vision on this. I'm praying. I'm asking the questions. God began to deal with me around gentleness with my kids, and I was like, oh, okay. So it was around like my tone, my attitude. I don't know if any of y'all ever have like explosive like, what are you doing? I'm going to lose it. <laughs> Apparently, I'm the only one. No, I'm just kidding. I don't get that bad, but I do go like I have said to my kids, I'm about to lose it. And I don't think any of us want that to happen right now. You know, like, but God began to deal with this gentleness aspect in my life. And what happened is, as a result of this, so when I say I wanted to put on gentleness, it meant that I also got to work in putting in the work to put this on. So actually, I sat down at the beginning of this year and I wrote myself a one-page doc and I called it Parenting Out of Influence. And I began to write to myself, what does this mean? So what happened is, is I studied Scripture. Remember? We're going to look up. we got to look to the Bible. I began to look at Scripture. I read a verse like this. Colossians 3.21 says, Parents, don't come down too hard on your children or you'll crush their spirits. When I read that verse, you know what? My vision got a little bit bigger. God began to direct it. I don't want to crush my kids. I began to write insights coming out of studying Scripture and looking at this, and I wrote down things like, I want a parent in a way to not lose my kids' hearts. And I actually wrote to myself this. I said, influence is what will keep me in my kids' lives long term. Position as their dad will just make me their dad. So I want to parent with influence over position. I began to write down application I was like, all right, I'm going to find ways to praise them. I'm going to catch them doing the right thing, and I'm going to praise them for it. I'm going to be like, great job. You were on time for school. Way to use the potty. That's a big deal if you've ever potty trained a kid, y'all. Like, you know, you're praising them in different ways. You're doing all these things. I, I began to write down, like, I was like, I want to believe the best. Because, you know, I don't know. My middle daughter, she has the biggest explosive, like, wine cry thing you've ever heard. And when you hear it, you're like, oh, my gosh. Because you know it's not like she's not hurt. Nothing's wrong. She's just crying because she can't find her toy or something like this, right? And you're like, I'm going to lose this attention. So I'm like, I want to believe the best. I'm going to go to them first. I, I want to have more fun. Because you know what fun does with your kids? Fun builds a different type of relationship with them. I want to have fun. I want to be down with them. I want to wrestle with them. I want to run in the grass. I, I, I said, I, I want to gain greater self-awareness about myself. So this whole year, I've been learning about myself. Why is it I get angry in these situations? Why is it like I process like that? What is God doing? I've studied my personality multiple different ways. I've been dissecting myself, like all kinds of things with this. And so I, I got to work on all these things. And, and let me be clear. Listen, y'all. Like, I am not beating my kids. I am not explosively yelling at my kids. I am not doing any of this. Honestly, most people would probably look at me and be like, why do you feel like this is that big of a deal? 
But you know what? When I look at myself, I go, I can get better. I got a bigger vision. And I will not excuse the shortcomings of my character, when, even if somebody else doesn't think they're that big of a deal. Because I'm living for a bigger vision, and the vision for your life directs the fight in your life. So listen, what's that area of your life that God's saying you need to put on? I want to say this to the dads real quick, because I think this is a, a big dad thing. Is gentleness one of the things that you need to put on with your kids? Because right now in your trajectory, are you on a path with your kids for them to grow up and say, I don't want to be anything like my dad? Or are you on a trajectory where they're going to look, at, they're going to look one day and say, I want to be everything like my dad? Where are you at? What do you need to put on? For some of us, maybe we've got to put on humility. Maybe we've got to ask for help. Maybe we've got to forgive somebody. Maybe we've got, we got to put on compassion, love. Maybe we've got, we got to go forward, and we've got, we got to forgive people, and we've got to take these things. And this is not a comprehensive list. But again, just like we're writing down the thing that we need to let die, what's that thing that you need to put on that God is saying, put this on in your life? And here's how we put on character, all right? Let's just be real practical. How do we put it on? One, Again, just like the same way we're letting it die, we got to identify it. Identify that area. Write it down. I wrote down gentleness. Beginning of this year, I did a prayer. I wrote it down. And then when we write it down, we got to begin to pray about it. Ask God to give us the vision for the area. Look to his word. Look to him. Pray through it. Begin to say, God, what do you want me to do in this area? And then the third thing is we got to practice it. Some of y'all are like, God, help me, have, help me have patience in this traffic. Get ready for some freaking traffic. Right? Like, <laughs> Like, because here's the deal. The only way we put it on and it grows in our life is when we practice it, which means we have to be in situations that require it. You want to be able to forgive somebody? It means now you're going to have to look at your spouse later today and say, hey, I forgive you and I will not hold that over you anymore. Somebody just said amen. I heard that. So, you know, say, like, like, listen, we have to practice it in our lives. So when we're looking for the vision, we ask, where am I looking? What needs to die? What do I need to put on? And the reason we're asking all these questions is because the vision for your life directs the fight in your life. And, and you know why this matters? Why all this matters is because the Christian life is not a playground. It's a battleground. It really is. And, and if we will not let God give us a vision for our lives, for our marriages, for our families, for our city, for our workplace, if we will not let God do this, then we will spend our entire lives fighting the wrong battles. And I don't think there's a single one of us that says, I don't want to fight for what matters most in my life. I don't want to give my attention to the lesser. I want to give my attention to the greater. All of us want to do that. And whenever I think about this, there's a verse way back in the Old Testament that I always think about. And when I think about what I'm fighting for, this verse is what always comes to mind. It's a verse that's found back in Ezekiel. Now, Ezekiel this is back, Ezekiel was an Old Testament prophet. He was one of the people that God had appointed to say, I want you to go into the land and go speak to them. Because what had happened at this time is the nation of Israel, they had turned away from God. They were living in sin. So all that things on Paul's list of what needed to die, like they're, they're living in it. They're putting it all on. And God was saying, listen, I want you to go talk to them. I want you to point them back to me. In this verse in Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30, is what God would say to Ezekiel. He says, God says, I looked for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land. I searched for someone to stand in the gap in the wall so that I wouldn't have to destroy the land. But I found no one. 
And listen, my hope and my prayer, even in this message, even as I look at my own life, is that when God looks at my life, when he looks here at the gathering churches, that he doesn't look and say, there's a gap. There's a gap and no one's standing in it. But then when he would look at our lives as we follow Jesus, when he looks at this church, he would look and say, there are moms and dads who are standing in the gap for their kids. That when he would look at the gathering church, he would look and he would say, there's husbands and wives standing in the gap and fighting for each other because they're not going to let something come in and destroy their marriage. They're going to fight for their marriage. That he would look at people in this church and he would say, there is a group of people who are unified by me, standing up, loving one another, forgiving one another, protecting the unity. They stand in the gap for each other. They pray for each other. Their life groups are a community where life is actually happening. When somebody falls down, everybody else is there to pick them up and walk with them. That when he would look at this church and he would see this people, he would say, there are a group of people willing to stand in the gap for their city. Because when he looks across Asheville and he sees the brokenness, and do not, do not be fooled, in every city, every place, every neighborhood, every home, there is brokenness present there. And when he looks and he sees that brokenness, that it would not be a gap where nobody's coming to him, nobody's interceding on behalf of the city, nobody is going to the city, but that he would look and say, there's a church, not a building, but it's a group of people. It's a group of people who are committed to me. It's a group of people who are willing to do whatever it takes. They got bold faith. They're character driven. They live life on mission and they're all about life transformation and they are gonna go and God's saying, I can move through them. So my prayer for you is that you will be a people who see the gap and say, God, I got a vision to stand in it. Will you use me? Will you grow me? Will you stretch me? I'll never do it perfect, but I can do it better each and every day because you're going to pick me up. You're going to change my life. You're going to move me forward. And I am believing that when we do that, we can experience God doing something greater than we could ever imagine in our lives because what happens is we begin to see the vision, step forward to the vision, is directing the fight in our life and in our church. And listen, the reason... The reason that we stand in the gap for others is because Jesus stood in the gap for us. You know, the earnings of our, of our sin, which really sin is, I'm choosing anything other than God. And when we, our earnings for that is death and hell. But God would look and he'd say, there's a gap. There's a gap created by your sin, by our sin. And God would send Jesus to come stand in that gap. And Jesus would come. And he would know the cost of it. He would know what, how bad it was going to hurt. He would know the pain of going to the cross. He would know the cost of it. In fact, Jesus asked God in the Garden of Gethsemane multiple times, God, if there is any other way, take this. Don't, I don't, I, I, God, if there's any other way, take it away. But Jesus let the vision direct the fight and Jesus would go to the cross and he would stretch out his arms, the perfect son of God dying on the cross for the sins of mankind so that, so that when one person will turn to Jesus, say, Jesus, I can't fix all this junk in my life. I can't get free of it in myself. But when I turn to you, I look to you, and I'm saying, give me the vision. I'm coming. I'm following you. I'll do what you say. I'm here. That Jesus would cover our sin. 
that grace would be infused into our life, that sin would be covered. It would no longer be that which defines us. But now, as Paul even writes, we got something new we're putting on in our lives. There's a new freedom that we're walking in because of Jesus. And listen, I'm believing that today there is someone here who maybe you're right at that point. You've been trying. You've been showing up. You're like, I'm serving. I'm going. I'm giving. I'm trying to do this. I feel like I'm wearing myself out. And all God is saying is stop. Just look at Jesus right now. Just look to him. Turn and trust him. And today can be the day where you stop and you say, Jesus, that's it. I know I can't do it, but I know that you can. Stand in my gap, Jesus. Stand in my gap. We turn and we look to him. Listen, for some of us today, for all of us, we can all come to God and say, God, will you give me a bigger vision? When I look at my life, when I look at my kids, when I look at everything, God, give me a bigger vision. Help me to pray bolder prayers. Help me to live with a greater, greater value of what you want for me. Help me to see it. Don't let me get my head down. Let me get my head up. And I believe in that today, if we come out with some intentionality, with some focus, that we can experience more of God in our lives this year because God's going to give us a bigger vision in our life. And when he gives us that vision, he's going to direct the fight in our life so we know where to go and what to do. Listen, I, I, I want to pray for you guys. And today... I want to invite you even after this. Listen, if you need somebody to pray for you, if you're making a decision today to say yes to Jesus, I want to invite you right after the service to come what we call the Connect Center, right on the, uh, right on the sidewalk, down the steps, and come talk to somebody. Because remember, the reason that we take a step to talk to somebody, the reason we do it even when it's hard, is because the vision is worth it. Let's pray. God, today I am asking and praying for every person here that God, you would do a work and that you would move in our hearts, in our lives, in our minds. God, the barriers, the things that are holding us back from fully trusting you. God, whether it's the areas that need to die, whether it's the areas that we need to put on, God, I pray that you show it to us. I pray that you, you, you let us see it. And I pray that today, for every person here, you give them a boldness and a courage to move on it, to not sit back. And God, I'm praying over this church for more freedom, for more vision, for more life transformation, for more of your grace to be present in their lives and that, God, you would give them an even bigger vision to stand in the gap for their city and that through this church you would do an amazing work today. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.